Well, good morning. Good to see y'all here this morning. Thankful to be able to uh, worship with you. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to Daniel chapter 10. This morning we are in Daniel finishing up or beginning the end. So this is the beginning of the end of the book of Daniel. Why do I say that? And if you look at Daniel chapter 10, you realize there's still two more chapters after this. But what will become apparent, I pray, during this morning's text is that Daniel chapter 10 is actually the introduction to the very end of the book. So Daniel, as it was written, chapters 10, 11, and 12, although we separate them, it was one unit. And it's the end. It's chapter 10. What we'll see today is an introduction to this final vision that Daniel's going to receive. Then chapter 11 is the body of the vision, a lot of things that will take place in the course of human history. We will not look, we will not spend time specifically looking on a Sunday morning at chapter 11. And you might ask why. It's because chapter 11 uh, recites or, or shares a lot of the same parts of history that we've already seen in chapter 2, some in chapter 7, very clearly in chapter 8. And so we're not going to recount that. It's, it's whenever we're seeing Greece and Persia. It's when we're seeing Antiochus and the Seleucids. It's a lot of those things. So if you're not familiar with that, if you haven't been with us, I would urge you to possibly catch up on that. Uh, the, they're available on the Facebook page. If you want to see it in video form, they're available via podcast. Uh, search for Running Pastor. Then you can find that on iTunes and Google Play and, and all the others. Uh, but listen to that, catch up, specifically chapter 8 would give you a lot of the detail that we'd see in 11. So we're not going to spend time in chapter 11 on Sunday morning. Today we'll see the introduction to this final vision. Next week we'll see chapter 12, which is the end of time. The vision that God gives Daniel of the beautiful, glorious end of time and some instructions to go along with it. So today we're beginning this final section, this final two-week push and Daniel, and I'm excited about it, but that, that's the overview of what we'll see. But what specifically will we see today? There are three things that I pray that you'll see in this text in chapter 10 today. The first one is how God prepares Daniel for this final vision. This, this final vision, you know, this is what's going to take place in the course of human history, and some of it's going to be rough, there's going to be some persecution, there are going to be some wars, there are going to be some really uh, difficult times for God's people. And then there's the end of time and a lot of things that are hard to understand. So I believe that God specifically, he prepares Daniel for this. He gets him ready, almost like a coach pumping up their team before, before the big game. God prepares Daniel for what he's about to see. So we'll see how God prepares Daniel for this vision. We're also going to see evil forces trying to keep Daniel from receiving the vision. God sends this vision to Daniel and it's as if evil forces literally try to intercept this and keep it from getting to Daniel. We'll see how that happens. And then in the end, we will see, once again, as we've seen so many times through the book of Daniel, how trying to oppose God's will, trying to stand against God, is futile. It is, in all intents and purposes, a waste of time to try and oppose what God wants to do. We'll see that in this text as well. So look with me in the text itself. Daniel chapter 10. Let's begin in verse 1. It says, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. 
And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris. I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. So what's going on here? I believe this is God preparing Daniel for the vision that he's about to give him. What, what specifically do we see here? Daniel gives us the setting. He tells us the time period. He tells us where he was. But then he tells us as he's standing by the bank of this river, he looks and he sees this, this vision of a glorious individual. right? And, and a good bit of this focuses on this individual, what he looked like. He looks and he sees this, this looks sort of like a person, but very much not like a person. It says that he had a body that was like barrel. That's this, this yellowish, green, beautiful gemstone. So his body appears like this, this, this blue or yellow, green gemstone, had face that was as, as bright as lightning, eyes that looked like flaming torches, arms and legs that are exceedingly bright and shiny like this bronze, and had a voice that was like the roar of a crowd, right? So the sound of a multitude. So he sees and hears this individual, and of course that attracts his attention. It says the men that were with him didn't see it, but they could feel the presence of something that made them tremble and shake, and they were so scared that they went and hid, and he saw this. And so he sees this individual, and it says he turns pale. His radiant appearance changes. The, the, the color leaves his face. He sees this individual, and he is uh, astonished, probably somewhat scared by what he sees. And then it goes a little bit further, and this individual, this glorious individual, speaks, and Daniel passes out. What he says, I fell in deep sleep with my face to the ground. I passed, I fainted. So he sees this individual and he loses color and then this individual speaks. And when he speaks and he hears this voice, it's too much for him to handle and he passes out. So what is this? This, this glorious individual, we can ask the question, who is this? We can ask, why does God send this individual? Why does God allow Daniel to see this? If he's the only one that saw it, why does he allow him to see it? Let me give you the point, and then I'll explain it to you. Point one, God again responded graciously to Daniel's prayer. That's what happened here. Daniel prays, and in response to his prayer, he's going to receive the vision of chapters 11 and 12, and he also sees this individual standing there. Now, you might ask, Brother Zach, I know in chapter 9, whenever Daniel prayed and God showed him all these great things that were going to happen, that seemed like a very gracious response. But for Daniel to pray, and for then God to send this individual that was so scary to Daniel that he passes out and falls on his face, 
It seems like a stretch for me to say that that is a gracious response to Daniel. Why do I say that's a gracious response? Well, it all comes down to who I believe this individual to be. If you've been with us through the book of Daniel, you will not be surprised to hear that who this individual is is debated. But in my mind, it's very clear this individual is. This individual looks very similar to one other person that we see in Scripture. You can write this down and read it later. I recommend that to you. Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 16. If you have time later today, read that. Revelation 1, 9 through 16. We know what the book of Revelation is, right? Most of us are pretty clear. Revelation, it's God showing John the end of time, showing him this great battle, this great conflict, this great war leading to the end of time when Jesus returns and we are with Him. Those of us that are His children are with Him forever. That's the book of Revelation. And so in chapter 1, just before God shows John all of that, He shows him something else in verses 9 through 16. And the thing that He shows him is Jesus. Before John sees all of those things that are going to be hard to understand and hard to believe for anybody that doesn't have faith, God shows John Jesus. And if you read that description, you will read several things that sound very similar to the language and things that Daniel says that he saw here. Now in that one, uh, Jesus is wearing a robe, so you can't see the body that looks like bear on something, but you see these bright or shiny feet or legs. Uh, you see these flaming torches. You hear a voice that, that, that John says is like the roar of many waters and very similar to the roar of a crowd. That Daniel says here was the voice or sound of a multitude. But I believe they're for the same purpose. Just before God shows John persecution for his people and wars and conflict and heavenly things and the end of time, he shows him Jesus. And here, just before God is going to give Daniel a vision of persecution and wars and conflicts and heavenly things in the end of time, I believe that he shows him Jesus. Because brothers and sisters, when we look at something that is hard and difficult to understand or comprehend or deal with, what do we need? We need more faith. How could we have more faith than to see with our very own eyes Jesus? So I believe this is a gracious response. Is it too much for Daniel? It's too much for him to, uh, to understand. It's too much for him to comprehend. It's too much for him to deal with. He passes out. But it does not take away from how gracious this was that God shows him Jesus before he gives him this vision. I believe fully that's what we see taking place here. So then as the text continues, he's passed out and he's, he's there on the ground face down. And this angel is going to come to him and touch him to strengthen him and begin to speak to him. Look with me there in verse 10. Daniel chapter 10 verse 10 says, And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, from, from the first that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God. Your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words." The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia, and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, 
for the vision is for days yet to come. Now, there's a lot that's going on here. What do we see? We see Daniel says that, that he's been praying, and now he is, has seen this, this vision of Jesus and has passed out, and, the, and then he's touched by an angel. Right? Not the show, but literally. Touched by an angel, and it gives him strength to stand up. We're going to see that several times throughout this chapter. And, and this angel starts to speak, and he says, Daniel, it, it, be strengthened. Daniel, who is greatly loved by God, understand this. As soon as you started praying and asked God for wisdom, God sent me to come to you. God sent me to come and give to you, verse 14, I've come to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. So that tells us what he's going to see in chapters 11 and 12. This angel has come God has sent him. God heard Daniel's prayer and responded by sending this angel to go and tell Daniel, Daniel, this is what's going to happen to your people. This is what's going to happen to God's people. This is how the end of time is going to come. So he's come. But there's a little bit of a conflict in the statement. Because the, the angel says, from the very moment that you started praying, your words were heard and I was sent. But... In the beginning, we read that Daniel was in the state of mourning and praying and fasting for three weeks, for 21 days. Now, what happened in the meantime? Did this angel take a vacation or a very long pit stop? How did it take him 21 days to get from where he was to where Daniel is? And we see that in verse 13. This is that second thing I want to see. Evil forces opposing God's will here. Verse 13, he explains, he said, The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. Now, what do we read there? Again, let me give you the point and then talk through it together. Point two, evil forces worked to oppose God's will. Very simple. Evil forces. Now, when he says the prince of the kingdom of Persia, is he literally talking about a human prince? I don't believe so. It's not our understanding of, of what we see here. I don't believe that one of the kings, I don't believe that one of Cyrus, the king of Persia, that one of his sons was able to intercept this angel and hold him for 21 days until help came for him. I don't believe that's what takes place here. And part of the key we find in this text itself, in verse 13... Said the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, and again we see that word for princes here. You've got the prince of Persia, and you've got Michael, one of the chief princes. Who do we know Michael to be? The Michael that would be an angel that would have come to the aid of this angel, we understand to be Michael the archangel. We read about him in a few different places in Scripture. Specifically in Revelation chapter 12, we read about this war, this great conflict in heaven. Uh, Satan and the fallen angels or demons warring against the angels of heaven. There's this conflict. You can read about it in Revelation 12, uh, verse 7 specifically. It tells us that Michael, the archangel, was actually like the general of the heavenly army. So this is a, a bad dude, and he's leading the heavenly army to defeat this evil army. So when he says Michael, one of the chief princes, Michael, who we know to be an angel, refers to him as a chief prince. We understand the same here, that this prince of the kingdom of Persia would be a 
demon or fallen angel that is working in the area of Persia and is here specifically trying to oppose the will of God. God, Daniel prays and says, God, I need help in understanding this. And, and God sends an angel to go and tell him the answer. But this evil, this demon, Satan and those working with him, they don't want Daniel to have that answer. They don't want Daniel to see the glorious future. They don't want Daniel to hear about the end of time. So they try to hold up the good angel. They try and stop him. And it works for 21 days until Michael comes. And Michael, the general of the army, when he shows up, he puts everybody in their place. And he comes to give this. And what we see here is a clear example of what we've seen many times throughout this book. Now, I will say, if you are new to uh, to to Scripture, if you are new to looking at conflicts between heavenly things, between fallen angels and angels, this might seem very startling to you. Or it might seem that I'm making it up, but I want to be clear that this is something that we see throughout Scripture. This whole idea of Satan and fallen angels trying to oppose God and the work that he's doing. We see it all throughout Scripture. We, we see even in, in their, their very nature, God who is righteous and perfect, and Satan who is said to be the father of lies... God, who, who, who has made life, who has made everything living, He has made it. And then we see Satan, who has a desire to, uh, to destroy and to devour and to kill, right? There's this antithesis between Satan, who is evil, and God, who is righteous and perfect. And we see specific examples in the New Testament. Jesus, who comes to live a perfect life and to die a perfect death, and Satan trying to get him, trying to tempt him to sin. Right, trying to oppose the work that God has to do there. Uh, and then we read in Ephesians six twelve. Paul says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So this isn't like an isolated thing. This idea of this war between God and the angels that he commands and Satan and the angels that he commands goes on regularly. We just can't see it, so we're not that aware of it. Daniel was made very aware of it here. But what do we see? We see evil trying to oppose the work of God and losing. Now, this is something we've seen over and over through the book of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar thought that he was greater than God. God put him in his place. Belshazzar thought he was greater than God. The handwriting on the wall, God put him in his place. The little horn of the, the fourth kingdom of chapter 7 thinks he's greater than God. He's put in his place. Chapter 8, Antiochus thinks he's greater than God. He's put in his place. We see this over and over, and here we see it again. These evil forces think that they are stronger than God, they think that they can oppose God, and they are put in their place, which brings us to the last point, which is the main point of this text. Which is the main point of this text and the main point of the book of Daniel. God is God over everything. Point three. God is God over everything. And brothers and sisters, that's good news. Doesn't matter who or what or when, God is God over creation, God is God over evil, God is God over history, and God is God over the future. And we see that here in this text. I want to show it to you. Now, in verses 15 through 19, we see again Daniel is weak because of things he sees or hears in these angels ministering to him and strengthening him. But I want us to read verses 20 and 21 to see this idea of God being God over the future. Verse 20. Verse 20. 
This angel speaking. says, Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. See here, this, this angel asked, do you know why I've come? Well, we do know why he's come. He's already told us in verse 14 why he's come. I come to make you understand what's going to happen to your people in the latter days. So I've come to give you this vision from God. And then in verse 21, he introduces chapters 11 and 12 this way. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. And then he talks about this conflict. And he talks about what's going to happen in the future of, of human history, and then he tells what's going to happen in the end of time. That is what is written in the book of truth. Now, why is that specifically important to me? If you have been in my office, or if you walked by my office this morning and looked, you probably noticed I have a lot of books. We have a whole library full of books here at Mount Zion. Some of them talk about uh, made-up fictional things, some of them talk about the history and what's going on. Some of them talk about what we think is going on right now. Some of them even try to predict the future. But here's the truth. None of them have any actual bearing on what's going to take place. They can predict and they can guess and they tell what has happened. But they can't tell you for sure what's going to happen in the future. And they cannot change the future. But here we see this idea of this book. Could be literal. Could be figurative. I think it's an actual literal book that God has, but that's neither here nor there. What we see is this. God knows the truth about what's going to happen in the future. You see, God can send an angel to Daniel to tell him, this is the truth, this is what's going to take place. How can God do that? Because He knows tomorrow just as well as you and I know yesterday. God knows everything that is ever going to take place. And so he can send an angel and say, this is what's going to happen. God is omniscient. He knows everything. Everything that has ever happened and everything that is ever going to happen. It's a beautiful reminder. But in what Brother Dusty read for us earlier in the, the welcome shows us that not only does God know the future, but God's the one that has set the future. He's the one that's chosen what's going to take place. It's not like He just literally has this, this book that's like a crystal ball that tells Him what's going to happen. If He has an actual book that says what's going on in the future, it's because He wrote in there what's going to happen in the future. Brother Dusty read in Isaiah 14, part of that text said, As I have planned, so shall it be. And as I have purposed, it shall stand. Brothers and sisters, what God decides to do will happen. We've seen it over and over through the book of Daniel, and we see it here again. He sends this angel with the message, and evil tries to oppose it, but what God wanted to happen, happens. And so when he says this is what's going to happen in the future... And when he says in chapter 12 that we'll see next week, this is what's going to happen at the end of time, you can write it down... You can take it to the bank. It's going to happen. Why is that important? Because in chapter 12 that we'll see next week, we're going to see that God's plan is to bring future to a glorious end for all of His children. That's His plan. He said this is what's going to happen. There's going to be this glorious, triumphant end of time for all of my children. That is good news 
for everyone that's not an enemy of God, that's not like these people that are trying to oppose God. So the only question I would like to pose to you before we close is, are you currently an enemy of God or not? If chapter 12 and this glorious end comes tomorrow, are you going to be on the wrong side of it because you are an enemy of God? You might ask, well, Brother Zach, how do I know if I'm an enemy of God? Well, if you were to ask that, I would point to Scripture and tell you that, that the Bible is clear, that you are either working with God or you're working against God. Either you have made Him Lord and He is in charge and your life is based on His Word and the things that He wants you to do, or if it's based on anything else, then the book of 1 John that we looked at recently tells us that you are a, an Antichrist. Right? Little a, you're not the Antichrist, but it says those that oppose God are little a Antichrist. Literally, it just means you are against Christ. You're for Him or against Him. There's no middle ground. He is Lord, or you are Lord, which makes you against Him. No middle ground. Romans 8 tells us that the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Hostile, enemy, against. If, you are, if your heart and mind are set on you and selfish things and things of this world, then you're opposed to God. So how do you get to go from being against God to being for Him? Romans 5.10 says, For if... While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. You hear that? While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. How do you go from being against Him to being with Him? Because of Jesus Christ. God sent His Son, this Jesus that we see here, right? This is a, a pre-incarnate Jesus. This is Jesus in His glorious form, not in human form. That's not whenever He was born of the Virgin Mary. He didn't have a body that looked like barrel and legs like burnished bronze. He looked like a human. But brothers and sisters, that Jesus that came in human form lived a perfect life and then died a perfect death. Paying the punishment that we deserved, taking the punishment for our sins so that now... If we respond to Him in faith, we're no longer enemies of God. We're reconciled to God. We're no longer against Him. We are with Him. He is not against us. He is for us. And brothers and sisters, this God that's in charge of everything, it's good to have Him for you. So if you have questions about that, what do you mean by having faith? What do you mean being reconciled to God? What do you mean trusting in Jesus as Lord? I would love to answer those questions. Reach out to me. Stick around after the service. Call, text, Facebook message, email, whatever you need to do. Reach out. I would love to discuss those things with you if you have questions about them. But right now, I'd love for us to end by praying and thanking the Lord for who He is and for the things He's done. Let's pray together. Lord, You are so good. Lord, You have given us so much more than we deserve. Father, we have all sinned and rebelled and lived for ourselves and lived against you, Lord, before we were Christians and even after we've been saved, those of us that have responded in faith to Jesus. Lord, even those of us that have done that, we still continue to find ourselves doing things that we shouldn't do. And Lord, you've still sent your Son to die in our place so that we could be reconciled to you. And you continue to be patient with us and work with us to make us people that don't, Hate your word, but love your word. Lord, you've given us new minds and new hearts 
as your children. And you made it all available at a very high price. Lord, the price of the precious blood of your Son. Thank you for showing us such great love. Lord, also thank you for showing us in Daniel 10 this reminder of how great you are, Lord, that not only do you know the future, but you're the one that decides the future. You're the one that has decided what's going to happen. And there's no one that can oppose you. There's no one that can change it. And to work against you is a useless thing. It's a useless task, Father, because you are all-powerful, and we cannot stop you from doing anything that you desire to do. So, Lord, for those of us that are your children, this is good news. For those of us that can't wait to see what's going to happen in Daniel 12 actually taking place around us, Father, this is such good news. So, Lord, help us to celebrate your greatness and your power and your ability because, Lord, you are our God and we are your people and we're thankful to be that. Lord, if there are any here that are not yours, Father, I pray that you would work in their hearts, Father, that you would show them yourself in Scripture. Lord, that you would make clear how desperately they need you. Father, that they might repent of their sins and turn to you and be saved and become your children as well. Thank you for offering that to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.